take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And I'm going to lead us in reading the whole chapter, verses 1 through 18. This is God's Word. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your Havel life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet... No one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Uh, join me in prayer as we approach God's word, or rather he approaches us. As summer flowers, we fade and die. Fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. But life eternal calls us at the cross. What beautiful words, Lord. They're so true. Um, as the grass withers and the flower fades, so is our life. We come and go. and We're but a mist we were reminded in your word, our lives are extremely short. 
They pass by, Lord. We bury those that we love, and it seems like next month we're the ones getting buried. God, you have so provoked our thinking with this book. You've surely provoked mine. I hope, Lord, this congregation has been built up through this book of Ecclesiastes, Lord. And I do pray that life eternal would call us to the cross, that the Lord Jesus Christ might be precious to us each and every day, that we might trust him, that we might rely upon him, that we might fear him and walk in his ways. You have chosen to build up your people through word and sacrament, Lord. These are external means of grace. They're not from within us, and God, we praise you for that. Come now, we pray. Come in power. Come in clarity. Come with conviction. Come with comfort. And minister to your people this morning. Rebuke the proud Minister to the weak and faint-hearted and bind us all up together in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For that is our only hope in life and in death, now and forever. And so we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The title of today's message is Life Under the Sun. It's nothing new. I really don't have an introduction for you because we're just continuing on in the theme that we have talked about the last two weeks, and that is life under the sun. What does it look like to live this life, this odd, brief, fleeting, temporary life under God's providence. I will remind you that the word vanity of vanities or, or vain, as you'll see uh, a little later in this text, does not mean uh, meaninglessness. If I have not persuaded you of that by now. I don't know what to say, um, but uh, it just simply means life is short, it's fleeting, it's temporary, but it's full of meaning. This life is full of purpose. So here we go. I have three points this morning. The first one is death is coming. Death is coming. Verse 1 of chapter 9, the preacher, who we see as Solomon, says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is to love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. So our lives, beloved, are in the hand of God, ultimately. In other words, we are not in control. And we do not know what lies ahead of us or what lies before us, he says. Whether it's love or, or hate, well, we're not too sure. We'll encounter both, probably, hopefully more love in life than, than hate, but as far as the circumstances by which love or hate come into our lives, well, we're in the dark. We don't know what this life has for us. Verse 2, it is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous 
and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And who swears as, as he who shuns an oath. All will die, he says. The same event's going to happen to everybody. Whether you were naughty or nice. Whether you made a lot of money or made a little. Whether you were a believer, he says, or an unbeliever. We all go into the ground at the end of the day. Death, he says, is coming. And you don't know when. And that's the message in part of Ecclesiastes. Death is coming. Enjoy what you have because you won't have it long. Verse 3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That same event happens to all. What is that same event? Death. Yes. We're getting it. That same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are fully of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they look at they they go to the dead. I think he's saying two things two things here. Mark this if you're taking notes. First, I think he's saying death is an evil. Verse three. This I presume is death. This is an evil. That is, death is not normal. Now, we here at Calvary Redeeming Grace, we are reformed, so we, we often say, yes, God is sovereign over death. That is a truth that we hold, but that doesn't make death natural. Does that make sense? I don't want uh, our reformed doctrine to swallow up the evilness of death, in other words. Death isn't natural. It is, it's an evil. It's an enemy, Paul calls it. The last enemy. The secondly, I think he's saying here is that the way death does its work is also evil. Look at it. The same event happens to all. So death takes the good along with the bad. And you're left wondering when you read verses like this, where's the justice in that? The drug dealer receives the same thing as the Christian? That's not right. Death happens to all. Now, the preacher would say, well, fair point. The drug dealer does get what the Christian uh, received, but both are sinners. And so both will die. Verses 4 to 6. He who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Uh, beloved dogs in this context uh, context are not cute uh, golden doodles strumming around the neighborhood. 
dogs in this context are scavengers in the ancient Near East, uh, filthy animals, and the lion is a regal, strong, uh, beautiful animal. So he's saying um, it's better to be a living scavenger than a dead king. Better to, better to be dead than, um, or better to be alive no matter what you are than uh, dead. At least when you're alive, you have the ability to enjoy life, to fear God, to walk in his ways and to enjoy uh, the one you are married to. And that's the point of verses 5 and 6. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. <laughs> Isn't that true? And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. In other words, the time is coming, congregation, when everything you count dear will be gone. You will have no more share in it, he says. Gone are the times you want to embrace those you love. Gone are the times to sing your favorite hymn. You can't do that in the grave. Gone are the times to take a walk. Gone are the times to enjoy your favorite meal, to play your favorite sport, to catch that big fish, literally or metaphorically. There's coming a time when death will take it all away. Death, he says, is coming. Now I read that section of Ecclesiastes and I'm wondering, why did the preacher tell us this? It seems pretty self-evident. Is he just telling this to discourage us? And I don't think he is. The reason Ecclesiastes pushes death in your face is because preparing to die teaches us how to truly live. I'm part, I think, you can dispute with this uh, later, but I am part of a younger generation that, as far as I can tell, has no concept of what it means to die well. Dying well doesn't mean that when death touches your family, you don't have a broken heart. To die well, David Gibson means that you realize death is the limit God has placed on creatures who want to be God. And as far as I can tell, I'm pretty good at that. To die well means I realize death is not simply something that happens to me. It happens to me because I'm a sinner. To die well means I realize that every time I see a coffin, it preaches to me that the world is broken and fallen and under the curse of death, and I'm a part of it. To die well means realizing that from the day I was born, I lived under the sentence of death, and I am amazed that God spared me as long as he did. <laughs> to die well means everything I have in this world. Everything I have in this world, I hold with open hands because I love Jesus more than anything and more than anyone in this world. And I'm happy 
to go home to him. That's what it means to die well. And friend, that is truly the beauty of the gospel, is it not? That death does not have the final word. There is one, the scriptures testify, just one who has ever lived, who conquered death. And death came upon him, but he rose from the grave. And he is the most exquisite, extraordinary person you could ever know. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are two ways to live. You can die in your sin, he says, or you can know me. And though death come upon you, and death will, though you die, he says, yet you shall live. My friends, I don't know about you, but this is not discouraging. Death is coming, but one day, all this will be gone. It's going to take it all away, and we will have life uh, together with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the most exquisite person you could ever know. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, death is coming, but until it comes, and I enjoy all of you, so I hope it does not come soon. Secondly, we need to enjoy life now. We need to enjoy life now. Verse 7, go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Seems like pretty straightforward advice, but I think too rarely taken. Go, he says. Don't sit back. One translation, seize the day. Go, he says. Don't sit back. Seize the day. Enjoy the life you have. Stop dreaming about the life you wish you had. But enjoy what you have now. Then he says again, eat your bread with joy. We've come across this before, have we not? And drink your wine with a merry heart. Why? For God has already approved what you do. Don't sit back, in other words, and wonder what pleases God. When you take pleasure in God's gifts, what he's approved, God takes pleasure in you. That's something. I'm 40. And my mom still buys me Christmas gifts. Like, I'm 40, mom. You don't have to do this. I can go get what I want. Why does she do that? When I open her gift and my heart is satisfied or takes joy in the gift, what is my mom doing? taking joy in my joy. And that's somewhat like when you enjoy what God gives you in this life, God is glorified and God is pleased as you enjoy the life 
you have. We're getting now to what I believe at the heart of Ecclesiastes. Listen to me. Life is not about the meaning you can create for yourself. You understand that? Or the meaning you can find in the universe through work and ambition. Getting rich, getting married, having kids, whatever it may be, playing sports. You find meaning when you realize that God has given you life in this world and any one of those things as a gift to enjoy. Take pleasure, he says, the preacher does, in God and in his God-approved gifts. Life, beloved, is not gain. That's the point of Ecclesiastes. Life is not gain. It is not here for you to suck up in a hedonistic way. Life is gift. (laughs) Enjoy God and enjoy his gifts. Verse 8. Oh, I love this. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. White garments worn to show joy and gladness in contrast to sackcloth and ashes to show grief. That's the point here, all right? So the New Living Translation, a little over the top. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Okay, has the idea, but um, a little over the top. <laughs> what are you going to do, you know? I'm going to miss Ecclesiastes. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Oil was used to protect and nourish skin. Look after yourself, in other words. Don't be a slob. I'm going to miss Ecclesiastes. Look after yourself. The world, beloved, should be a place of color and beauty. You know that? The world should be a place of color and beauty. That's why we have color here. All around, we try to make this place Colorful and and light. God is light, so we want to let light in and color and and beautify this place. It's a theology of aesthetics. It matters. That's what life is about, in part. Verses 9 and 10, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your not meaningless life. That would be a downer. All the days of what? Your short life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge and wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. You can't enjoy these things while you're in the grave. So enjoy them now. You're going to the grave, in other words, and you don't know when. So enjoy, cherish, and protect the person God has given to you. For those of you who are married in this room, we are not told to put up with each other. We are told to enjoy each other. And if I can just add a pastoral comment, if you are too busy to enjoy life together, then you are too busy. End of story. You are too busy. And if you do not enjoy each other, then it's likely that you are simply taking what you can from each other in order to pursue other goals and ambitions 
that are never going to give you all they promise. Your spouse is not some means to your end. I find it interesting uh, that verses uh, 7 to 10 are full of wedding imagery. Uh, I just performed the wedding for Felix and Rebecca, who will be here uh, in a a couple of weeks. They're in Switzerland. That's where I want to be. I'm going to go to Geneva, man. Well, there was food and drink and love and oil. Obviously, a husband and a wife. You know, I'm not sure what the preacher knew about the afterlife. But isn't it striking, beloved, that he makes so much of our eating and drinking in the present when many parts of the Bible make so much of our eating and drinking in the future? Isaiah 25 describes heaven as a feast of rich food a feast of well-aged wine, rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. I can't wait. There, beloved, picture it, on the mountain of the Lord, there the Lord Jesus Christ will be, and he will swallow up death forever, he says. And we will say on that day, beloved, behold, we will say, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in our dear husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Every meal, beloved, every day is a foretaste for the banquet yet to come. Did you know that? You're going to go home and have lunch. And the Bible says what should be on your mind is that that final well-aged meal in glory with Christ and his pride. C.S. Lewis put it in these words. He says, we will not enter a spiritual world but a deeper country. I used to dismiss C.S. Lewis because he wasn't fully reformed. I was so immature. He is what he is, right? For the glory of God. Sorry. In the last battle, the children and the animals move from the old Narnia to the new Narnia, where they discover that, quote, every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. Isn't that beautiful? And then he has this this quote with the unicorn. He says, it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried. This is what the unicorn says. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life. Though I never knew it till now, the reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up, he says. Come further in. You know, those without Christ often abandon themselves to eating and drinking because sometimes it looks as if there is 
all there is to do before we die. But those who love Christ cherish eating and drinking because it looks a little like what we will do after we die. The gifts are from a real country. And the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, you better enjoy them because you're going to the grave. Are you ready to go, beloved? Are you ready to go and join that unicorn in glory? I don't know about you, but um, I think I'm a little bit more ready to die than I was before I started Ecclesiastes. And I hope you are as well. Third and, and lastly, uh, life is uncertain. So death is coming. Um, enjoy life now. And lastly, life is uncertain. Verse 11, again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Life, I think this verse is saying, life always has exceptions. Because nine times out of ten, the race does go to the swift. Right? The battle is to the strong nine times out of ten. Nine times out of ten, uh, the brilliant do get the best paying jobs. That's just how it works. But he says here in verse 11, not all the time. Life has exceptions. Life is uncertain. Sometimes there are hiccups to the natural order and way of things. He says time and chance, or a better translation would be time and occurrences, or time and happenings happen to them all. In other words, providence keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? Providence keeps you on your toes. Circumstances change, situations arise, unforeseen events occur that you can't predict. And just when you think you can predict life, plan for that vacation, you lose your job. What? Life is uncertain. Verse 12, for man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught into a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. You just never know what's going to happen. Man does not know his time. You're like a salmon swimming upstream, and all of a sudden, you're in the mouth of a bear. That's what life is like, he says. That, that's what he says, literally. Like a fish that is taken in an, in an evil net. That's how life is sometimes. So is the children of man. We're like birds. We just get caught. We do not know our time. You plan, you pray, you seek counsel, but you don't know your time. You don't know what providence has around the corner for you. As kids, we grew up with these dreams. Don't you remember those wonderful childhood dreams? You wanted to be a firefighter or an astronaut. You want to get married. You dream about getting married and having kids and getting that job. And the preacher says in this text, beloved, uh, maybe you'll get those things. 
Maybe you will be married. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have kids. Maybe you'll get that job. Maybe you'll be an astronaut and fly around the moon. Or maybe you'll be dead before the year ends. We don't know. Life is uncertain. So here's a final concluding question. Do you see what the preacher is saying to you today? Put your faith in something not under the sun. Rest and rely in something, or shall we say, someone who does not live under the sun. So I urge you today again to put your faith in he who is everlasting to everlasting. His promises are sure. They are real. He is coming again, and his grace is all sufficient for the sinner while you live. Man does not know his time. Well, almost. There is one man who knows all the times, and he holds your life in his hand. Trust him, we pray. Our gracious God, we ask that you might teach us how to die well, what it means to trust Christ, what it means to enjoy this life and enjoy the life you've given to us today. Be glorified in this message. May you use this word from your word to edify and build up your people. To Christ be all the glory. Amen.